Welcome to Momentum Africa. I'm your host, Hashim Meki. Our show features African leaders that are shifting the paradigms in their fields. We explore themes of leadership, economic development, current challenges, and how these leaders are providing innovative solutions to be catalysts of change in their communities. Here at Momentum Africa, we understand that there are no panacea to all problems. And this is why we examine the following topics. The influence of past and current leaders, economic development, philanthropy, culture, and health within the continent of Africa. In this episode, we sat down with Khaula Kisiksi from Tunisia. Khaula Kisiksi is a jurist who manages a project on environmental justice at the Rosa Luxemburg Foundation. Since 2012, Khaula has joined the association of Emnimity, My Dream, which fights against all forms of discrimination, especially racial discrimination. Since January 2020, Kisiksi has been the co-founder of The Voice of Tunisian Black Women. Tune in to learn about what is happening now in Tunisia since the 2011 revolution regarding equality and social justice. The pandemic has shed lights on social and political issues that were not publicly discussed before. But due to COVID-19, these issues are now on the forefront in the political conversation. Aula, please can you tell the, uh, the audience how you got inspired to become an advocate for Black women's rights in Tunisia? So, uh, in fact, I, I don't have one specific experience that inspired me or that changed my life or something that I can remember. But I have to say that my, uh, my old way has inspired me because I think that the fact that I had the, the, the opportunity to travel a lot and uh, in an early age, so I had this opportunity to meet people from developed countries and meet people where human rights are, are something that they are used to. So uh, I think when I, have, when I had 15 years old, I went to Denmark and I was really shocked because we have been living in dictatorship uh, under, under, uh, the time, uh, in, in the time of Ben Ali. And when I traveled and I, I, I saw women, how they are, uh, how, how they are treated in this country and how they are free. And I felt free either. So I, I, I started to think about it and I started to, to, to notice that there is something wrong in Tunisia. And also when 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 and also when I, when I came back to Tunisia, I had the, the, the opportunity to go in the south of Tunisia because I'm originally from the south of Tunisia, and the fact that that in in the in the south people are really marginalized. So I found really uh, people with uh, with uh, with the situation that is so bad. And women were invisible there, and they had no right. So this contrast made me made me think, and I started the reflection, and I started thinking about about the what and why and how they 
it can achieve this level in in the term of human rights and why my people is still struggling for the basic human rights. So I think this is this was the first shock in my life, and I started thinking, and uh, and I, I I tried to understand and I I tried to know uh, everything about this, and it was the first time that I was interested to human rights, and after that uh, it was the revolution. Because after the revolution, everyone started to claim their rights, and people are uh, and people in Tunisia were really, uh, really engaged and really active. And we we had a new era for, of uh, of activists in Tunisia. So I thought like we can speak out loud, and we can we can just uh, speak and express our opinion and. The whole ideas that I kept in my mind for three years, I started to share it with my friends. So let's say it's not an event or a, a, a particular thing that inspired me. It's just the, the opportunity that I had and the good condition for a fight. Because if, the, if there was no revolution, I don't think that I could speak and I could be the person that I am today. So... So to just summarize, I can say that you never choose your fight. In fact, it just it's it's like this. It's something that that keeps growing inside of you. And somehow one day I I I felt like I'm concerned about all the issues of all the women all over the world. I can't I can't even know why, but it's it's this way. This is this is great. This is this is uh, amazing that you started at this early age and you've become a leader in the fight against uh, discrimination against women in uh, in these areas that you care about in southern Tunisia and uh, elsewhere. So, how would you describe your uh, experience uh, since you started this journey in terms of leadership? H has how has that uh, shaped you? as a person, as a leader, as a jurist? In fact, uh, uh, this experience, I think, it changed my life. It gave me new birth, I think, because now I, I have meaning for my life, so, to, to be honest. So I feel like I have many obligations and I have many responsibilities. And uh, I think uh, this experience that, that, that I had and this opportunity that, that I had to, to, to meet people from different uh, uh, countries and from different uh, experience and to share and to be close to people from many, many countries and from my people and my, my community. And having this kind of, of dynamics, it allows me to mix the theory and the practice. So I know how we can be free, and I know how we can achieve our rights, and I know that we can, because for many years uh, we, we have been told that we can't achieve our goals. So I have, I have many examples, and I know that we can. And I know deeply the situation of black people and for, of black women in Tunisia. So these two types of knowledge uh, I think it, it's given me uh, an, an advantage 
in my struggle because because I think that that have, that being close to both actors it it make my fight I think uh, I think it, it's making my fight uh, more real because I know how people are feeling and I know how we can develop theories to to uh, to uh, go from the margin to the center. Perfect. So uh, can you share with us more as far as what uh, percentage do this black woman in Tunisia um, are, what percentage are they? And also, uh, if you can also share with us since the revolution, which happened in 2011, I followed that revolution. I was really inspired too. So, can you tell us since then, when you work, have you faced any challenge as you do this to fight for the rights of black women? Okay. So, from 2011, I wasn't really accept in black women's rights. I, it was really about all black people's rights in Tunisia because it's something that we never spoke about it before the revolution, never ever. So it was something new for us as activists and even for, uh, for politics, politicians and for people and for the whole society. So, so I can't tell you about any number about black people in Tunisia because the government refused to do any kind of study of black people. So we don't know even how many black we have in Tunisia. There are many alternative studies who says that it's 15% of the population, but nothing is sure. So now we are advocating to, to have some numbers about our situation because we have been, we have been treated like we, are, we, we, we didn't exist. So yeah, so but if you want to talk about challenges, in fact, it's different. Uh, if I want to compare uh, this actual situation with the situation in 2011, I can't. I can see that there is a huge difference because uh, first of all, in, when we started talking about uh, about racism in 2012. It was really, really uh, difficult because people were were refusing, saying that there are Tunisian. The, 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 uh, um, because people were refusing to say that there is racism in Tunisia, so we started with testimonies and to say that we are facing this every day, and we know that there is racism in Tunisia because there is all over the world, and Tunisia is not uh, heaven. So it was, and it was really hard because people started to, to tell us that we are paid from other parties to, to divide the Tunisian people. And, they are, and I, I was saying, I hope I am lying. In fact, I hope I'm faking all this because, because I can't imagine this all things that I am exposed to you. So we and until now uh, there is uh, it is a big difficulty uh, to talk about racism in Tunisia. It was like taboo, and if every time we start to talk, we, we start to talk about it, we are we face a big hate speech because 
people are in total denial. But now, in 2020, it's different because, because now we have a law against racial discrimination and people were killed because of their color. So we can't hide it anymore. So they can't tell us that there is no racism in Tunisia because we know that it is. So our our new fight now it's to because all the actors are trying to depoliticize our fight to say that uh, it's uh, it's one case and uh, it's not a big problem and we can say that there is racism because two people were killed in Tunisia because of their color because it's like a separate case and it's not something institutional and uh, deep in the society. So now we are trying to tell people that it's not a separate case. No, it's our living and we are facing racism in every day, in every level and in every ground. So yeah, that's I think that's the main challenge that we have right now. Can women vote in Tunisia? Black women? Yeah, yeah. Well, and so, we have even a law against violence against women. So what are the other things that black women in Tunisia are discriminated against? So, uh, in fact, uh, black women in Tunisia are suffering from sexism, uh, regionalism, because we all come and we, we, we are all coming from the south of Tunisia, and racism. So collecting these three elements, it, it, it puts the, the black woman in the bottom of the social scale. So uh, most of uh, of the most of the, the working class in Tunisia are black, and there is no uh, black person in the po in, in the position of, of decision. So black people generally were forbidden to go to the TV or to, to be shown in any media before the revolution. So this, this is the situation of all the black people. And for black women, we are facing uh, sexual and sexist violence, and it's based in our color and in our gender. Because in Tunisia we have, I don't, I, I know it's all over the world, but I'm speaking about Tunisia because I'm living it every day. So black women are hypersexualized by by men. So we are we we are receiving sexual harassment and we are enduring it every day, and it's so different from the sexual harassment that non-black women are are enduring because. Because uh, the, the, because um, we have this this thing of hypersexualization, so they think that we have we have appetite for uh, uh, for uh, sex, and we will never never refuse someone who who, who asked us for something, and we are always uh, seeing that sex workers. So even if I work in an organization or I work in, in any place, I am facing sexual harassment because everybody in Tunisia thinks that I will never say no. So this is the situation of black women in Tunisia. Uh, we have also that uh, a kind of stigmatization that people refuse to see us in other positions um, but uh, being being secretary or being and 
and we have to be from the working class. So, for example, I can tell my experience in my job. Sometimes I talk with people with email, so I exchange emails with people, and then I'm going to meet them. So during the meeting, they refuse to admit that I am Khawla, the, the, the girl or the, the woman of the email, because for them, I'm there just to serve coffee, and I don't have the right to be a manager. So, and sometimes it started to be hard. So sometimes people refuse to have the meeting with you because of your color. Sometimes it, it's explicit and sometimes it, the, they do it indirectly. So we have many issues and uh, we have issues related with the beauty standard and the whole situation are seen as, as uh, the most ugliest women in the world. So we are, we are between sexual harassment and uh, not responding to beauty, to beauty standards uh, of the country. And uh, we have uh, also this, that, um, that uh, burden that we are carrying about slavery. So we are always asked to be, to be, uh, we, we are always asked to, to have, uh, to, to not go, to not quit the margin and to stay in the position and in the frame that the society made us in, so, put us in. So, so the, yeah. So what, the slavery you mentioned, how, does, how is that tied in into the discrimination? Can you elaborate more for, for us as people who, who, who might not know the uh, demographic of Tunisia and the, the causes there? Mm -hmm. Because in fact, in the in the south of Tunisia, especially, it was all black people were slaves of of Arab people in Tunisia. So uh, we abolished slavery at uh, at uh, one hundred one thousand eight hundred forty six. So it's it's really early when we did it, but. Uh, it was by law. It wasn't initiated by uh, activism or by militantism. It was a law, and the Bay, the highest authority then, he decided to, to abolish slavery. So we are passed from... So we, we, we switched from slavery to loyalty. So uh, all black people were legally no more slaves, but they were enslaved by the cotton and by uh, the, the culture. And uh, in the south of Tunisia, in fact, there is even families who are who, who still exercing slavery. And uh, many black people also, they are accepting this and they are saying that it was always this way. Why do we have to change it now? And we are we are we are at ease this way and we don't want to change it. So so slavery in Tunisia was abolished at three times, and it was a big resistance from from the the big farmers in the south of Tunisia, and even from black people because they were threatened by uh, by taking their land and throwing them in the street because they had nothing at that time, and it wasn't really something that I'm proud with because. The abolition of uh, of slavery in Tunisia wasn't 
initiated by black people so that we are keeping now this burden of slavery till now and it's deeply involved in the society so we cannot so it, I, I will not say we cannot but i will say it's so difficult to get get rid of this culture especially when it's hidden now we don't have one enemy and we can face it now it's hidden and it's in the tradition and in the customs and i think it's really difficult for us to change that so yeah so a lot that has passed to to stop others criminalizing or uh, segregating or discriminating against other black women has that law uh, helped in this regard of the discrimination since it has been passed well uh, the law was we started to have law at 2018 so it's I, i can't give my opinion to this experience because it's really new but what i can say that uh, from my analysis i don't think that a deep problem and uh, deeply involved social problem like racism can be resolved by law because we don't we, we can't put everybody in jail so we have to uh, the law is good it's really good to protect uh, the victims of racial of uh, the sexist and the racial discrimination and i am really really proud of it and it's kind of uh, the government finally finally admit that we have racism in tunisia but but i think the law, law should should be uh, complemented by by uh, educational strategy by by getting involved in all the fields in the media especially because the media in tunisia is so racist um, for example the books for children in tunisia in schools all the children in the book are are blonde and in tunisia were not blonde so i want to the black kid to see himself in the tv in the books in the in the commercial ads I, in fact uh, i think that we have to set up a national strategy to fight against racism in all the fields so the law is good and i am so happy that we have it because i even used it once and i think that the victims had to but also i have to to say that black people are in the bottom of the social economic scale in tunisia and they they're not they they don't have money to go uh, to 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 claim to claim the justice in tunisia and it's really expensive as my experience i know that it's really really expensive to go to the court ask for your right so i think that in addition to the law and to the national st- st- strategy to to fight racism i think that we have to to have legal aid for people who want to 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 claim for justice and uh, for people who doesn't have money to do it so till now i don't think that the law is useful because only rich people can use it and black people are not rich in tunisia we all know that That, that's a good so, segue. That's a good segue into my next question. So in January 2020, you co-founded Voice of Black Tunisian Women. Can you tell us uh, briefly what the objectives of this group uh, is? Uh, 
Yeah. In fact, the the group was uh, was uh, initiated because we had a really bad experience in another group. It's a group. It's called NZEDA. It's the version. It's me too, but Tunisian version. So everybody, uh, all the women were uh, talking about their sexual uh, aggressions, and they were uh, talking about their experiences. And we tried to talk about our situation as black women, and we said that we are facing a sexual aggression because that it's different for a few uh, in in the term of quantity and quality. It's not the same thing. And we were attacked, and we faced an enormous hate speech, and we they were accusing us to divide the, the Tunisian people and so on. So we said it's enough. Let's create a safe, a safe space for black women in Tunisia because we didn't have the right to speak. Even after the revolution and even when everybody started to speak and started to claim their rights, we were uh, prevented to talk about our rights because, uh, because, because people were not ready to hear that. So... We, we, we created our safe space and we started to collect testimonies from black women. It was in the beginning, it was all this. And then we thought like, why don't we use this testimony and to create knowledge about our issues as black women. So uh, we started to open debate. For example, is uh, if one of the women uh, made a testimony about, um, about uh, uh, how she's sex sexually aggressive in the street. We open a, a debate about it, and we exchange, we exchange idea and we exchange opinion. So we started to collect uh, good uh, materials for articles, and then we use all these ideas to write articles. And we are planning to launch a website and to publish all our all our articles there. So, for the beginning, now we are just telling people about our life and our experiences. But raising awareness. We, excuse me? So, you're raising awareness of the. Yeah, uh, we, are, we are raising awareness about our issues. And now we are thinking also about having small uh, video because it's, we can reach more people with a video. It's not like a long uh, article. So we are thinking about having video and making some video and talk about our ex our experiences and to explain people what are you uh, what are we living every day. So that's it for it's for the beginning, and we uh, we have these two goals: so raising uh, awareness and giving safe space for black women. Because if we can't talk about our problems, we will never solve it. So yeah, so that's the two big. Uh, goals and uh, maybe it will change because it changes every day and regarding the situation and regarding the condition we can add or change any of our objectives starting uh, advocating and raising this awareness for uh, social justice and rights of women in Tunisia what would you say that has been your greatest accomplishment or milestone so far so for me, it's the two laws. It's the, the law for uh, violence against women and uh, the law for against against uh, racial discrimination. It's two laws 
and uh, we had it in 2018, the two laws, and I'm so proud because we have been struggling for that since 2012. So after six years, we can we we have seen a good result of our our work. And if I compare the two situations, when we started talking with uh, with the deputies in the parliament about uh, about um, our problems and about racism in 2012, they were laughing at us. So after six years, they 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 made a law to protect us. I think that we have we, we made really um, good uh, achievement on this point. The you have personally mobilized this group of women for for lobbying the parliament in Tunisia to give them the rights. To to to, uh, to provide rights and change the laws. In fact, I did. It wasn't that way because I started to be acted on black woman at 2020. So uh, I was a part of an association, and as I told you, Nemti. And this association were were present in all the auditions and all the sessions in the parliament. And we did all our maximum to push to this way. And even the first draft of, of the law were, were given by civil society. So, uh, oh. and there is two murders in Tunisia of based of colors. So I think that the, the, the deputies were, and the government were obliged to do something for black people because they're it was so clear that there is racism in Tunisia. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, in every success, there are often people you owe your success to and who, has, uh, who might have opened doors for you to become the person and the leader you are today. So, who would those people be? So, I think in my case, it's my, my mother because uh, she has been against the system and she has been against the, the, the dictatorship in Bena of Benali. And she raised me in political atmosphere. So I always uh, listened to, uh, to political debates at home. And she was, in fact, she was raising me on political, uh, on, on, on social justice the, uh, principles. And I, I didn't notice this. Uh, till now. So she helped me a lot, I think, and she's keeping encouraging me. And I remember that at, two, at 2012, when I I, wo I didn't start my, my activism, I was just thinking in my head, and she, she took me with her to an association meeting, and uh, I had the opportunity to meet other activists. And from that day, I started my activism. So I think it's the person that pushed me, despite the fact that she is from the right party and I am from the leftist side. But we, we are keeping encouraging each, uh, each other. So, so that's really interesting that your mom is on a different side of this equation and you're on the left and she's on the right. Can you tell the viewers more about that? Yeah, of course. In fact, she's in the Islamic party 
So really, really conservative and the rightist party in Tunisia, I think, uh, till now. And I don't know why, but I've never been convinced by their idea. So I started to to meet other people and talk with other people when after the, the revolution, of course, because 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 before the revolution we can't even talk about any, any subject because we you can risk your life for that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Under under uh, the, the, the dictatorship of Ben Ali, it was really really difficult to speak about politics. It was really forbidden. So my mother, in fact, for the beginning, I wasn't veiled and I wasn't like the typical girl of an Islamic parents. So, and, and one day I told my parents that I'm not, I'm not really like them. Uh, I'm not, I don't uh, have this kind of thinking and I have another way of thinking. Uh, and they were okay. So it was all right. And I moved from my parents' house because it was so difficult to live together with the, in this situation. And now, in fact, the, the, the debate that we are having is more political than personal because I don't have this problem of my parents asking where I am or asking where, what I'm doing or, or trying to convince me to change my ideas. It's like two political parties are having uh, our uh, their debate so it's easier now because it's not uh, it's not personal anymore but uh, in the beginning it was a little bit difficult because they didn't, because i'm the, the only child and they didn't expect me to be this way so so yeah, and now I'm involved in the leftist. Uh, I'm not in one leftist party, but uh, the foundation that I work for is a leftist uh, organization. It's Rosa Luxemburg Foundation. So, so uh, it's clear. I'm inspired by Karl Marx for the beginning, and I'm always reading my. Uh, I'm always reading books of Karl Marx, of Engels, of. So yeah. So my parents, and especially my mother, in the beginning, she was a little bit upset because she was disappointed at somehow. But now I think she's she's proud of me. And I think it's her work. I couldn't be this way if she didn't push me. That's, that's very brave of you to have uh, gone against your uh, mom's will and political party affiliation. So when you say she was was the party, uh, uh, you said it was more Muslim ideology oriented. So how how did that contradict with your own view of uh, the leftist? So for me, I think that we don't have to involve religion in politics, and I think that we don't have to to involve to involve religion in anything. So I think that religion is something spiritual that you can share with yourself or with your friends, but it's not something that we made the whole politics of the country on. We can base our political and our strategy and our view and our vision of the country on religion because not everybody believes on that. So 
for example, we have in Tunisia, we have many laws based on, on religion. Like, uh, for example, in Tunisia, uh, uh, homosexuality is forbidden by law, and we, you can go to jail for that. Uh, and uh, for example, in Tunisia, we, I don't have the right to live with my fiancé in the same apartment because it's forbidden by the law. So it's inspired by by, by the, the religion because there is mm, uh, there is nothing that that forbids this in logic. So so. Uh, uh, the difference that I have with my mother and my parents, both of, both of them, because they met in the political party, so there are two of them involved in politics. And um, my problem is when I start advocating for changing law or for changing one habit and one thing that we have, and it's inspired of, of, from religion, because uh, many people don't believe on this religion. So we don't have to apply this on everyone and uh, without thinking. And it's, it's really, really important because people are going to jail, not believing to religion in Tunisia. So um, we have one case, for example, lately, uh, a Tunisian girl posted something on Facebook and she was laughing about, uh, about something in, in, in Quran. The, the the sacred book uh, of Islam, and she was and she was and she had to ask for refugee for that because she to, to go to jail for six months just for small things uh, that she wrote. My biggest um, fight with uh, Islamic and um, and the religious party in Tunisia, it's that. They have to stop involving religion in our life because we don't have to believe it. We are free. So, would you say this sentiment that you uh, you embrace is shared between uh, many uh, many of your uh, your uh, age group who are young and versus the old the old uh, parents and old people? In Tunisia, who who embrace the more religious political leaning, and how is that uh, given the post-revolution times you're living in? So I think we are winning the fight because because we are we really believe of what we are claiming. And I think that even the, the international atmosphere and all and everything is pushing us to achieve our goals. So I think they are trying to keep their old habits, but in, in a hidden way. But even then, they are really terrified and they don't want to be in the situation of, of the, the conservative one. And we have also many new laws now to protect us. We, we are not like before. You can't put me in jail because I will say I say the opposite of your thinking. So, in fact, the leftist parties in Tunisia are so weak, but the civil society, the, the, the leftist civil society, is really rough. And we are watching every day, and we don't miss anything. So we have we, we, we achieved a lot, especially in terms of laws. We are changing many laws right now. So yeah. So indirectly. 
your your fight for freedom of expression i believe and freedom for the young people to have a more say on their daily life is improving so how would you say as a, a public speaker activist a lawyer how would you describe your leadership style well my leadership style is changing during the years because i'm learning every day and every day i'm changing my way of thinking and my way of uh, organizing things so i can say that i'm strategic on somehow and uh, for the intern communication i can be affiliative uh, and now in fact in 2019 i started to to believe that we don't need hierarchy because i was involved in some uh, movement it's called falgatna it means we are peaceful uh, and it's feminist radical intersectional movement so in this movement we don't have president we don't have public speaker we don't have pro project manager we are doing it this way if you have something to suggest we 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 just put it in on facebook if there is people who are interested they join and you can organize any activity and we don't have any kind of title and if the media calls uh, if you are free you go if you are not free we call, you call someone and it's really working because we have we are different and uh, we don't need the approval of each other so we do the things like we want to do and we have the, the chart of course we have to, to respect it but it's really free space so um i really believe in this Uh, in this way of leadership just keeping people and giving people space to do whatever the world or the, they want just to give the basic principle and let people do what they want i think for for now it's my way of thinking and i'm planning i'm i'm so happy with it i'm so satisfied uh that's very interesting way of uh having this leadership it's indeed very interesting that is leadership uh, leaderless but yet it seems like you're very effective in providing people with abundance of freedom to express themselves and bring out the best of their ideas and thoughts to advance your causes so what kind of principle is it principle that people work better if they're left with no leader or why why have you decided to go down that road because in fact since to the, it's so specific to the tunisian context because since 2012 or 2011 we are, we had like uh, a bomb of uh, associations and uh, NGOs and everybody started to work in NGOs and even some st struggles have been awakened by NGOs because it was a lot of money and a lot of interests and not all people want to serve the cause the, it was really mixed and we are pissed we are pissed of having 
some uh, an, uh, um, a foreign organization that gives us money and direct us and be involved in every step of our working. And we are tested of the title, the president and the manager and all these kind of titles because people are, are using that for their personal um, so for their personal and interest. So, so, so the word, so you pissed, you 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 fed up with this uh, hierarchy and yeah. red tapes. Yeah. So where where, where are these organizations or the non-profit uh, organization from? Are they Tunisians or are they foreign based? In fact, they are uh, Tunisian sometimes, but they are paid by uh, by foreign. Uh, organization and sometimes they're not Tunisian and they're just based in Tunisia to 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 set up some uh, projects and in fact we miss this atmosphere when we were working for free and where we believe it in the cause and we don't it's not to be in on TV or to be on the magazine or to have a lot of money. We want people to work if they want and if they are not interested by the cause, there is no need for that. So we were really tired about all of that and sometimes we feel that we are losing our fights because of people who are taking advantage of the situation of and of the post-revolutionary um, atmosphere. So we said like, if you want to do something, go do it. We will not take money from anyone. We will just manage everything with our money. We can do collects. We can call for volunteers because I think it's the, the basic principle of civil society. People who work for free. And in Tunisia, we don't have this anymore because there is a lot of money coming from outside of Tunisia for every uh, cause and every field. So yeah, so globally it was that. And we said like, we will give, give the, the people uh, more space to act and we will not try, we will not try. Well, I have to say that we are, we are leading this somehow, but we are not interfering with the will of people who will with, with, with us. So sometimes there is many activities that uh, that our comrades do, and we are we we are we we, we are even we don't even participate because we trust them, and they think the biggest the principle of this kind of uh, organization is is the trust. So we trust each other, and we know that we share the the biggest principle of work, and we don't have to manage each other because we can. Every, every one of us can do the best for the cause. We are sure of this. Based on trust and building that network of volunteers to overcome the issues of finance, which y'all did not like from other organization and nonprofit because there were so many red tapes and, and obstacles for people to exercise their rights. Yeah, so, absolutely. What, based, on, based on all this, what lessons, if any, have you learned from this great activism of yours and also for black women in Tunisia and also for uh, environmental justice in Tunisia? I think the lesson that I learned, the biggest lesson that I learned that I have to never underestimate my community. 
because uh, uh, sometimes I'm, I lose hope and I think like they are winning everything and it's the government and we are a minority and we will not change everything. But when I compare the situation of 2011 and 2020, I can see that we, we, we changed many things. So uh, the lesson that I learned, I, will, I would never underestimate uh, my community and I will never underestimate myself because I believe that we can do something and we are doing it right now. So I don't think that it's impossible. I also believe that I will die before seeing my goals being achieved. But I know that I'm, I'm working and I'm doing the right thing to, to achieve those goals. Maybe I will not see it, but maybe the next generation will profit from that. So it, these are lessons of hope, resiliency that you're talking about, that you have to work hard to achieve things that you care about. And I think indeed you're doing uh, precisely that. So um, so your group, your group as a whole, you, you all are working on also advancing environmental uh, uh, justice for Tunisia. Since okay. What lessons in that regard? Uh, or so, what achievement have you been able to achieve for your group as far as so I have to precise that uh, my my work on social uh, on, on environmental justice is my work and my professional work and activism uh, anti racism and feminism is my activism. So it's a big difference between I don't uh, I don't have this type of relationship and this subjective relationship. Uh, and sentimental relationship with my work uh, because it's my work and other and I, I'm I'm paying I, I I I get paid for that so it's really my work so I don't have this this kind of link with it I but see. I have to say that it's involved on session on the field of socioeconomic rights and it's. It's a little bit similar of my activism because we are fighting for rights and um, it's the same mechanism and so on. But I have to say that the environmental struggle in Tunisia started in 2015. It's really, really new. So we, we have never uh, approached this kind of of a problem before and we don't even have a green party in Tunisia so it's really really we are really really far from um, the, the international uh, dynamic I will not say that we are achieving anything because we are in the step of talking about environment and talking about the issues and trying to raise awareness and to tell people about this. So I think um, 2020 for environmental justice is like 2012 for anti-racism um, uh, fight. It's really new baby, so I can't say that we are doing something, but I can say that in many years we will achieve many things, I think. I like the optimism on uh, on their roadmap as far as the goals to be achieved in this uh, environmental uh, justice. 
but I congratulate you on the job well done on on the fight that you you have put on so far for black women of Tunisia. If you would advise other leaders, current leaders and future leaders in Africa and North Africa, what would you say to them? So I'm inspired by my own experience and the experience of uh, civil society in Tunisia. My main advice is don't be divided because if we are many groups and we have the, the same goal and we have problems with each other, I don't think that uh, we will achieve something. So uh, we had this in Tunisia with, uh, with an anti-racist um, groups. So in the beginning, it was really difficult for everyone. And sometimes we, 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 we get divided by many problems. But now I'm so happy that we, we understood that we can't do anything if you're not together. So I think I advise all the activists to just reach their, their comrades and their brothers and um, find the, 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 the thing that they are uh, not uh, fighting and find their main interest. So find your comrades and find your main interest and your main goal and just work together because you, it's really, really difficult if you want to go alone. So would you say that you would want them to be, as you, as you uh, to follow your path in being a community leader uh, or activist? What would you prefer them to become, activists or community leaders? I would say activist or militant, but activist is the, the, the good word for that. To become activist. Yeah. I see. That, that's very interesting. So um, also, what decisions have you made that have guided you throughout your professional journey that people who are listening could look into your own journey and hope to uh, follow your footsteps? I don't advise people to follow me because I, I, I do really follow my feelings. I'm not the person who thinks a lot about himself. So I think the best decision that I make or the most important decision that I make is to give up my dream to become a lawyer. And uh, because to, for being a lawyer in Tunisia, we have, you have to study like for... 10 years. I don't, I, I will not say 10 years, it's seven years, I think. So I, I switched my career and I have always dreamed to become a lawyer, but I said, no, I will have a pause. So I will just study law and I will do many trainings and many activities uh, other than my studies. And I started to be involved in the civil society and I'm not a lawyer but I'm really, really happy with my life right now. I can't imagine my life as a lawyer now, in fact, because I think it's really, really satisfying to have this kind of work where you can help people.
So yeah. That's amazing. So you you're basically saying follow your dreams and do things that makes you happy. Yeah, I would say yeah. It it works for me. I don't know if it will work for uh, for uh, for other, but it's really really working for me. I think it's perfect. Okay. So as we conclude this conversation, what questions are in your mind about the state of affairs uh during this pandemic in Tunisia, Africa, or the world? In fact, uh Uh, the pandemic in all all over the world, in fact, showed us how people are treated in each country. So, for example, in Tunisia, we have a big problem of, of refugees, and during the pandemic, they were suffering and they were really, really struggling for their living. And uh, we had uh, the level of violence against women, it increased eight times. And uh, in fact, as we all know, the poorest people and the working class is the class who is exposed to the virus. So my biggest question now, in fact, I'm thinking now we know that there is many problems. And I'm asking if we can try to find a solution for the for these people because they they are they, they are suffering from the beginning of time and now uh, with this crisis i don't think that they, that they can endure it it's really hard for them so i'm um, i'm thinking i'm thinking if the political uh, atmosphere and the, the government if they are thinking about the post-pandemic because I think the, the post-pandemic will be um, uh, we will be uh, even more difficult than, the, than the, the pandemic itself and I invite everyone to just open this kind of issues and to talk about it and to to speak out loud about our major problems of society because we have many problems and the pandemic shown us how these problems can be mortal so if you are for example a woman and you are we are and you you are obliged to stay in quarantine with some husband or a father who is beating you every day the pandemic shown us that he can kill you and you can be dead because of that so it's not something that we are that we like to talk about it's a major problem and i think that the the pandemic is a good uh, a good opportunity for us to see the major problems of the society and to try to fix it because it's really urgent i think That's very interesting. So the refugees you alluded to, where are these refugees from? So the refugees in Tunisia, they are from uh, Nigeria, Mali, Bangladesh, uh, sometimes of Syria, but uh, they are most of the time from West Africa and they don't want to stay in Tunisia. And we have also from Libya because of the war. And uh, if they don't want to stay in Tunisia, they want to go somewhere else, uh, in Europe, of course, but they have to start with Tunisia. So we have this problem of refugees because 
Tunisia is a poor country. And work? Mm -hmm. So they cannot work in... So They cannot work, they cannot do anything. It's a poor country and it's a racist country. So we don't have any uh, clear politics about refugees in Tunisia and we refuse to sign all kinds of, uh, of convention and of... Uh, uh statement between between uh, Tunisia and other people uh, other countries so so the government is refusing to deal with the, the refugees and the, the refugees also they are refusing to stay in Tunisia and I understand if you want to make your situation better and if you want to have a peaceful life you don't want to live in Tunisia you want to live in a country more developed than Tunisia so so, so it, yeah. So, so your organization mm -hmm. works with these refugees to help them. No, we don't work. We don't work with them. But we have many associations in Tunisia that they are working in the, on that. Okay. So, but the civil society cannot solve this, uh, the, the all all the problem, and they cannot uh, ch change the whole situation. They will help they will advocate but they are not the ones who will make the final decision so we are not well we, we, we are not working with um, migrants maybe in the future i don't know but i think that there is many many organizations in tunisia they are who are dealing with this problem so 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 there's some help but you want people to listen the listeners who are listening to uh, pay attention to the issue and call on other organizations to help uh, Tunisia. In fact, uh, I want I want the government to pay attention to these issues and to give alternatives because now we are sure that their that their way of governing is not good and it failed on the first uh, on the first um, test. So I'm asking our government and all the governments all over the world to, to, to change their way of doing things because it's not, it's not really how we have to do it. Uh, because as I imagined the, the situation in the pandemic, I imagine that we will have health crisis, that we will not have the places in hospitals, but I figure out that the health crisis is the, um, is the, the smallest crisis now, and we have many, many other problems that needs our attention. So I'm asking for alternatives, and I'm asking for a new way of governing because the old way it's not enough for us. Well, on that uh, note, let's hope that the government in Tunisia listens and uh, find new ways of solving this multiple and complex uh, problems, including the refugee situation in Tunisia. And I'm so happy we've had the chance to talk about these complex issues, particularly the, the rights of uh, black women in Tunisia and all the other uh, amazing issues that you brought to the surface. With that, uh, we'd like to conclude our discussion. And uh, one more question for you. Uh, how would people find you do you have any contacts that people can uh, find you at if they wanted to reach out? Uh, 
Of course, of course, we have uh, our Facebook uh, page and our group uh, also, and we will launch our uh, website on the beginning of uh, of uh, next year. So this is where people find us. And uh, I'm glad, uh, I'm, I'm really, really glad to have this uh, small discussion with you. And I, I told you that it's the first time that uh, one of us is invited or or reached by someone from USA, and we are inspired by the experience of USA in fighting against um, racism. So I'm really, really happy to have this invitation, and uh, I hope that we, we meet or we talk again any time. I hope so too. I'm 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 happy to have had the the luck of having you on the show. So thank you so much for coming to Momentum Africa, Khawla uh, Kasiksi. Thank you so much.